Just to piggyback off of what, what's already been said, uh, you know why you get blessed when you're on the mission field? Can any, if anybody can answer that, go ahead. Do you, but just think about it for a minute. We, you do go, even if it's right here in your own country, in your own neighborhood, helping people. Do you know why you so, feel so blessed when you do that? Because you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. You're walking in his will and his will alone at that moment. I tell people all the time that come on the mission field with us, listen, you've, you're, you're going to be blessed because you've given up everything this week. You've given up your job. You've given up some of them, give up their families to come. They've given up monetarily to be there. They've given up everything. And they're right where God wants them to be. And that's exactly why you are so blessed when you go on a mission field or even if we were to set up something in this own community, you would feel blessed if you're not already doing it. And I'm going to encourage you to start doing it. Let's be on mission with him. Not, on, not only you know, because we set up side a week of the year for it. Here's what I tell people that come with us. God don't want you to be like this one week of the year. He wants you to be like this 52 weeks of the year. To where you're truly giving him everything you got. And it's going to look different. You know, I'm not naive enough to know. Y'all saw that video this morning from Haiti. If you were here, I'm not naive enough to say, you know, you're going to be able to do the same thing back home. No, you're not. It's going to look different. But it's our job at that point to figure out, okay, God, how can you use me 52 weeks out of the year? And I'm going to surrender my life to you. 52 weeks out of the year to be doing what you have called and asked me to do. So you don't got me started here. <laughs> oh, my, my intention was to introduce ourselves, let you know how we got started. I've got a little video a little bit later on that I'll show you to, to what we're doing now um, in some areas. And, and I also want to let you know how you can get involved. Um, October of 2011, my wife and I, is that right? I saw the wrong. She, she gave me that look like, where's he going with this? My wife and I, we led a team to Haiti through the Georgia Baptist Disaster Relief. If you, if you remember back in January the 12th, 2010, a devastating earthquake hit the island of Haiti and devastated most of the, of the island. Um, they, they determined that in the area we're at, 90% of the buildings were leveled or either unstable uh, to be able to use after that earthquake hit. So it devastated the whole thing. Well, the, Dr. White, who was the head of the convention at the time, he, he, called, well, he called all the churches to give a love offering towards the nation to help the nation of Haiti. And together, the Southern Baptist churches in Georgia alone gave about $1.6 million towards the relief efforts. And then he put that into use and gave it to the head of the disaster relief. They went into Haiti, and the Florida Baptists had been in Haiti for right at 20 years at that point. And so they asked, well, where can we help the best as Georgia Baptists? And because Florida Baptists were in the capital of Port-au-Prince, they said, where can we help the best? Well, they pointed to him to a town just west of Port-au-Prince, about 30, 35 miles west of Port-au-Prince, and it's the town of Laogon, Haiti. Now, we didn't find out till after the fact that Laogon was exactly, was the epicenter of the earthquake. That's where the earthquake started, was in our town of Laogon. And that's why so many of the buildings were devastated there and are unusable because of cracks in the foundations and such. So they looked around and they found a, a, a house that would house a big team. Uh, it's a seven-bedroom, three-bath home. And when I say three-bath, it's three regular bathrooms, okay? And we've had up to 30 people in that house for a week. Can you imagine? That's God right there. <laughs> I mean, because men and women with three little old bathrooms, we're not talking about where one could be washing this, you know, Washing and the other one brushing their teeth. No, just one person could go in that bathroom. So anyway, they found that home, and he went and asked the gentleman. He told him who he was, and he said, listen, is there any way we can rent part of your house from you to start bringing in mission teams to help 
during the, during the relief efforts of the earthquake. And he went and talked to his wife and came back and he said, no, sir, you can't have part of this house. We're going to give you the whole thing. Because he said he realized that if he didn't give up his home, then there was a good chance that his town of Laogon wouldn't get the relief efforts that was needed. So graciously, they moved out into a tent city. I don't know how much you know about Haiti during that time, but what they would do is they would just go downtown and start setting up stick houses with the tarps that Samaritan's Purse and different people had donated to them. And so they actually moved out into a tent city while the Georgia Baptist Disaster Relief set up their homes to start bringing teams through to start helping out Laogon during the uh, earthquake. And so it was the end of, like I say, it was October, end of October, 1st of November. I got that right. Yeah, not November to October, but October to November. End of October, 1st of November, she and I led a team. We were at First Baptist Church of St. Mary's at the time. And that was the exact same time that the Georgia Baptist Disaster Relief had announced that their ministry was done, they're pulling out. Well, God gripped my heart to show me that the disaster relief did exactly what they were supposed to do. Anybody know what the disaster relief is supposed to do? They help relieve the disaster. <laughs> That's all right. I get all churches on that one, okay? Because everybody, where's he coming from with that one? <laughs> yeah, the, their job is just to go in and help relieve the disaster and get things stable, so you know, somewhat stable again, and then they pull out and go where, somewhere where God had them next. And so God showed me, yes, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to relieve the disaster. They're not set up to be there long term. But God gripped my heart and said, there's so much opportunity for a long-term mission to be here. Uh, and, and I couldn't understand it because the whole week I'm sitting around the house trying to figure out how can we keep this going? And God just burned me with that. So I come home and I told my pastor about it. And about a week later, we were coming home, driving home back to the church from lunch. And he said, Roland, I see the desire that God's given you to come to somehow keep that mission going. And I see the determination he's given you. And he said, even though I hadn't been there yet through that, he's given me that same desire and same determination that he's given you through you and through my prayer life. So he said, call Stuart Lang the disaster relief and see if anything we can do to keep the ministry going. Well, I did, and we talked for a while, and I'll speed this up now. So th this part of the show anyway. Did I call it a show? <laughs> I just called that. A, anyway, y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, so I called him, and towards the end of our conversation, I said, Stuart, is there anybody, any other churches that have expressed interest in somehow keeping the ministry going? And he gave me some names and numbers, so I started making phone calls, you know, just fresh off the batch. I started making phone calls. And at that time, we put, a, put together a board of directors from across the state of Georgia, and we called ourselves, ourselves Baptists for Haiti. Now, the four was the number four, and that actually stood for our fourfold mission of preaching, teaching, healing, and building. And I tell people, if you can think of anything in ministry outside of those four, let me know, and we'll, try, we'll do it too. But we tried to encompass all the missions in our name and so that's how we got started. Um, now let's fast forward to 2017. We brought in teams into Haiti till about 2017. We've actually had a team there in 2019, but 2017 is when things in Haiti started getting rough, uh, population-wise. Uh, many people don't know it, but up until that time, the UN had a peacekeeping mission in Haiti, and they were helping keep the peace. Their contract actually ran out in June of 2017, and that's when all the chaos started. Once they pulled out, that's when all the chaos started. And now it's gotten to where when we're in Laogon, we you actually have to land in Port-au-Prince and go through the toughest parts of Port-au-Prince to get where we're at. So we haven't been able to truly take in teams. Now, we still have land there. We've got land there that we started building a team house on it. Remember I told you this one had three bathrooms? The one we were building would have communal bathrooms to where somebody could be in the toilet, somebody could be brushing their teeth. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And all that's sitting there. And I can't wait to get back. And I'm hoping and praying one day we will get back. But during this time, 
And, and doing all of this, I was always praying, God, do you just want us to be in Haiti? You know, if, if, if you want us to just be in Haiti, we'll be here. And, and we'll do whatever you called us to do. But I've always felt, after a few years, I felt like God was going to broaden our ministry outside of Haiti even. And so right at, after the turmoil started in Haiti, um, we had to stop bringing in teams. We brought, Like I say, the last team we brought in was in 2019. And right around that time, if you remember, Dorian came through and sat over the Bahamas for about two days. Well, during that, right after that, the Georgia Baptist Disaster Relief again uh, went into the Bahamas, and they adopted a church, Shiloh Baptist Church on Grand Bahama Island. And they gave me a call, and they said, listen, they said, I know you're not able to do much in Haiti right now. How would you like to, to uh, go in the Bahamas and help this church out that we just adopted? And I told, and this was a Monday morning, I'll never forget. This was a Monday morning, I told Stuart Lang, I said, Stuart, I said, that's an answer to prayer. Because I had a board member, the next, a board meeting set up for the next day that I was having to tell our board, I don't know what we're going to do. We're not going to be able to sustain this way. And so by him doing that, we actually went into contract with the George Baptist Disaster Relief at that time and started working in the Bahamas with um, the cleanup of Dorian and helping this church rebuild. And we're still doing that, by the way. That's part of our ministry as well. Um, but during all that, even COVID hit. Y'all remember that, don't you? <laughs> COVID hit. Oh, me. You, you talking about trying to take teams out of the country with COVID hit. You couldn't even take teams inside the country when COVID hit. But that's what we started doing. We started looking within our own country. And, and you know, we decided, listen, we've got places in Kentucky. We've got places in Florida. We've got places in Georgia that needs ministry as well. So what, is, what we started doing was us went into Kentucky, um, Somerset, Kentucky. We've got a big follow, a big uh, contingent there that supports us. And so I went in there and we started looking around. We've got about 12 different churches in the Somerset area. And I said, listen, I said, how many of people in your congregation or outside of your congregation needs help right here? And so through that, I started to, you know, putting teams together to come into Kentucky. And for the past three years now, during the summer, we've been able to go into Kentucky and help out the poor in their area. And then we started doing the same thing at the Florida-Georgia line for the past two years during the spring. Well, I've got about six churches down there that we'll get together and um, got one church that we stay at. The other churches will help feed us and, and give us jobs to do from their communities. And we take people from Kentucky to the Florida-Georgia line and we just help those in need. We build wheelchair ramps. We've done some roof repairs. We've you know, we've redid decks. We clean people's homes for the elderly, um, do yard work, clean gutters, whatever it is that, that God has for us to do, that's what we do. And so we've got all this going now, and it's, it's exciting times because we also have a ministry in the Dominican Republic. In the DR, what we're able to do there is we actually go in, if, you, if you're not familiar with the DR, the DR in Haiti is actually the same island, and it's just split up into two countries. Well, they have so much of influx of Haitians going over to the DR, some of them legally, some of them illegally, but they all need ministered to. So we actually minister to Haitian churches in the Dominican Republic. I've got seven teams set up this summer to be over there. Um, some of them medically, some of them doing VBS, and some of them just helping out doing street evangelism. Um, again, I tell here, here's what I tell people, our churches. Just say your church said, hey, we'd be interested in getting a team to go to one of them spots. What can we do? I tell, I'll, I'll tell you, pastor, I'll say, listen, you let God put your team together. You find out what talents he gives you, and we'll put that to use. You know, I'm not going to tell him I need a medical team or I need a, a construction team. You know, I let God do that by saying, hey, here's the talents we got. So I, I figure if he gives us the talents, we got to use them somehow, whether it's cleaning yards or cleaning houses or cleaning gutters, whatever it is, or if it's medical teams 
or construction teams. I've, I've got a big enough God that I know he can handle all that. All I've got to do is put them to use once he gives them to me. So anyway, um, that's how we got started. That's where we're at. And we also have an opportunity to take teams to Belize, too. Um, we, went, we went to Belize one time with a medical team. And my first time in Belize, one week, we had 72 people surrender their life to Christ. Because here's what I've, I haven't told you yet. We do all this, but we're there to share the gospel. We're there to make disciples because that's exactly what Jesus told us to do. If they're, if they're already there saved, we're going to encourage them. We're going to pray for them. We're going to help them. But if they're not saved, I guarantee you they're going to hear the gospel before they leave us. And in, in Belize, in one week, we had 72 people surrender their life to Christ. Now, here's the, the neatest thing about that. We went to a remote island that, that nobody had been to outside of the people that lived there in years. There was 30 people on that island. We went over there, and when we left, 27 of them had surrendered their life to Christ. 27. I can't wait to get back and, and visit that island again. Um, but it's just amazing. Um, we've, we've adopted Habakkuk 1.5 as, as our scripture for our ministry. In Habakkuk 1.5, God tells Habakkuk, he says, look to the nations, wonder, and be, and in some translations right here will have utterly amazed, for I am doing a work in your day that you would not believe even if you were told. Now, I could tell you, stand up here and tell you story after story how God has been at work. And you wouldn't believe it even if you told. You were told. But here's what, here's what was really happening in the context of Habakkuk 1.5. Um, God was saying that in a little while, the Chaldeans are going to come in and they're going to wipe the Israelites out. And there's going to be a remnant that's left. Now, here, here's, here's how God spoke to me through that. It took them being almost tore up and only a few left. Most of the things that I've told you about have been disaster after disaster after disaster where we've been able to move in and being able to minister to the people. And so that's how it spoke to me the greatest. When, when I looked at the context of Habakkuk 1.5, is it took a disaster for, them to, for God to get their attention, basically. And so he set up, us up, I believe, so we can do the same thing. Remember the tornadoes that went through Kentucky a couple of years ago? We were able to go out there and minister to, to a farming community. During that same time, remember the floods last year? We were able to help 12 different families out to recover from the floods. We had to go in and help them rip out their sheetrock, take everything to the streets. But through all that, we were able to minister to these precious people. Now, a lot of them were already saved, so we were just encouraging them. But guess what? If we come across somebody that wasn't saved, we shared the gospel with them. Um, I'm not a big numbers man. But I know numbers is what shows us, or shows you um, how we're doing or how we've been able to effectively help people. And so I've got some numbers here. We started in Haiti in, in really November, December, November and December 2012. No, 11, 11. And since then, in that little, little bit of time, and I say little bit of time, it's right at 10 years we were able to bring in teams. We had over 1,700 volunteers come to Haiti to be with us. Some are sitting right here. But over 1,700. Now, through that, we were able to minister to over 55,000 Haitian people. 55,000. And, and here's the age-old question in missions. Is it better to give or is it better to go? You ever heard that? Because I'll share, it was right at $1,500 per person per trip if we were trying to, you know, just throw a number, twelve to $1,500. And if all of those 1,700 people that came with us 
and had to fork out twelve to 1500 some people say, why don't you just give that money to the missionary and his wife instead of going over there with it and let them do what they could do with it? Well, you know what? If every one of those 1,700 people that came over there with us would have just said, hey, here's the money, you do, we'd be looking pretty good financially right now, wouldn't we? But there's no way she and I would have been able to minister to over 55,000 Haitians. And that's why, yes, it takes the giving and it takes the going. And I shared with your pastor, I told him that I'd let you know how we thought we were going to be funded when we first started out. When we first started out, we said, okay, if we can get 100 churches to um, commit $1,000 throughout the year, whether that's one lump sum or $100 a month or you know, however they could do it towards our ministry, that would give us $100,000, and that would give us the money for the base of the ministry. And we figured that's a piece of cake, 100 churches to be able to do that. There's over, I think, 3,600 Southern Baptist churches in Georgia alone. So to get 100 of them to commit $1,000 throughout the year, I'm going to tell you, that's a tough task. <laughs> he knows what I'm talking about. Because you know what they'll say? Oh, we'll pray for you, brother. We'll pray for you. I'm not even going to get started on that one, but uh, but so so that's how we you know we're trying to be funded through churches, individuals, but when we bring teams, we do have a surplus from the teams that we charge, and that helps us out throughout the year as well. But here lately, we haven't been able to take too many teams anywhere, so we've been relying on churches and individuals to help. Now you're not hearing me stand up here and beg. I'm just telling you how. You know how you can help if you so feel as a church or as individuals. Um, but been able to minister to over 55,000 Haitians in that time, and over 1,100 Haitians surrendered their life to Christ. Over 1,100. Again, there's no way she and I could have just did that. It takes people like you to come with us and to help us out, so we can we can broaden our scope of things. Um, in Belize, I've already told you, we had 72 people surrender their life to Christ in one week. In the Bahamas, we've only had one team there, but so far, four people have surrendered their life to Christ. In the DR, we've had over 20 people surrender their life to Christ. And in the United States so far, 16 people have surrendered their life to Christ for the very first time. And, and that's what it's all about to me is helping the people and sharing the gospel with them. I've got a video that I'll show you where one lady that we were able to help here in the U.S., um, she, she wanted us to put her on tape so that she could share her experience. If you'll share that video. This is in Kingsland, Georgia, by the way. Well, um, Evelyn... Uh, Almadover. I've Saint been Mary's. here in St. Mary's for, oh God, since 2006. Um, I'm a mother of three, and um, recently unemployed. But most of my um, career has been doing uh, social services kind of type of work. Well, the soffit was uh, really bad, and it had some pieces of molding that were bad, and. Uh, it needed a major paint job. It was it was a lot of stress on top of what I was already going through. I I was going through some issues with my family. I have my mother living with me and my sister, and the reason they moved with me was so we can take care of our mom. And then all of a sudden, my sister got sick too. Then uh, actually, before that, my brother got sick, and my sister, and then. My job, you know, I was, uh, I, lo I lost my job. So on top of everything that was going on, every time I came outside, honestly, every time I looked at the house, it was literally falling. You know, the soffit was broken. It was getting water in. So on top of all that, you know, it was very stressful for me to come outside. And I just kept thinking, you know, um, I can't let this house go because this is the only thing I have. I have my mother and my sister here with me, and 
that's our shelter. So it, it was very stressful for me to come outside every day and you know look at the house uh, on top of everything that was going on. You know, it, it was one thing after the other. So if you want to know the story, it, it, this was God sent to me because one day in the middle of all this, you know, my, my mother was sick, my brother also, you know, and my sister, they developed cancer. And um, I was outside and I looked at the house and it stressed me out so bad. I went to the bathroom and I took a shower and I was crying in the shower and I said, Lord, you know, I can't let this house go. This is all I have. You know my situation, you know our needs. And um, I was in the bathroom and I said, just guide me, guide me. I said, I was willing to, you know, do whatever I needed to do in terms of, you know, if I had to go, you know, I don't have a lot of money and I was losing my job. So whatever I had, I needed to, you know, spread it out, you know, so it could last. I said, but I'll, you know, if I have to take a loan, you know, against my uh, retirement or whatever, I'll do whatever. But I was also afraid because being a single woman, people take advantage of you a lot of times. They come and they tell you, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And by the time you know it, they walk away with your money or they don't do a very good job. And I couldn't afford that. So I said, Lord, just guide me. Guide me through what I need to do. And uh, I don't know why all of a sudden the um, Christian radio station here came to my mind. Um, and, and Vicky, Vicky Hafer, that name came to me. I used to listen to them. And I said, Vicky Hafer, <laughs> what am I going to tell her? And I didn't think about it too much, you know, but it was in the back of my mind. And uh, the next day I was like, I got to call her. I got to call her. But I didn't know what to tell her. You know, I, I was like, I'm not, you know, looking for freebies or anything like that. But God put it in my heart to call her. And I remember like three days later, I got up and I was shaking. I was so stressed out and um, I needed prayer really bad. And so I called the radio station and I asked for her and I said, Vicki, I don't know why, but, you know, God put it in my heart to call you. And I explained to her what was going on. And I remember she prayed with me and I needed that so much. Um, and she prayed with me and... Uh, she said, she said she was going to talk to some people, and she said to me, uh, Mr. Bill, from you, Bill, um, she said she was going to talk to him and see, you know, if he could come by and give me an estimate or, you know, and tell me what needed to be done because, you know, it was also the roof and everything, you know, all at once. But I told her, you know, I can only tackle, you know, certain things at a time. After like a couple of weeks, Mr. Bill came by, you know, and uh, he gave me an estimate on the repairs and stuff like that. And, you know, I said, okay, well, let me wait on it, you know, and see what I can do. And then I emailed him, you know, again a second time, you know, and I talked to him, you know, about other stuff, you know, that I needed. So then he said, okay, I'll get back to you. And honestly, this went on for a couple of months. And after like a, a, a month or so, he um, emails me and he tells me that he could give me the estimate, but there's a missionary group, he didn't mention who it was, that um, was coming by. And if I wanted to, he can give them my name, you know? And I, I just started crying because I say, you know, that's a blessing. I know that came from from God. So I told him, I said, just sure, put my name, you know, on the list and let's see what happens. And um, then uh, Look at the Nations, you know, showed up. And I didn't know anything about Look at the Nations, to be honest with you. Um, but I started to do a little bit of research and it, it was amazing, amazing, you know, what you guys do. You come out, you know, and... Um, just helping, you know, the community was, you know, really amazing to me. You know, we have a lot of needs. Sometimes you just go about your day and you don't think, you know, about other people and what's going on. And just that little bit, you know, fixing the, the soffit and painting it, 
was such an immense relief for me because, you know, now I can come out, I look at it, you know, and I'm not as stressed out, you know. Um, I, everybody loved it, the neighbors, everybody, you know. So it, it was life-changing, you know, that, that little bit of, of help. It's life-changing for, you know, people who, you know, are in need. I mean, I can't do it myself, you know. So it, it was life-changing to me. Thank you. I I was really impressed with the children that came, you know, from uh, Kentucky to to help. Um, that was also in, very touching to me to see how the kids are involved in these um, sessions, you know, helping the community, how they pray together. Uh, I love you guys. That was just amazing to me, and I asked for God to you know, bless you all that came to help, bless the children, bless the ministry, and Mr. Bill, too, for, you know, thinking, being unselfish and, you know, passing on something he could have, you know, done and gotten for himself. So I thank you, every single one of you, from that day I made that phone call to Vicki Hafer till today, you know, and uh, I hope I can, you know, continue to, let people know about, you know, your ministry because it, it is life-changing. I know that was a little bit long, but I just think it's a neat story to see how God works from the beginning to the end. Just a little caveat on that story. Y'all saw the house, right? Um... First of all, she talked about stress. I was under stress with that house because I said, what color do you want it? And she says, I don't know. You pick a color. <laughs> now, y'all know when the woman says, you pick a color. I'm like, no, really? What color? She says, I want you to pick it. So I went down to Lowe's, and luckily there was a woman working in the paints. And, and I showed her a picture of the house, and, and she's like, well, we got this. And so, um, but then then my wife came up at that same time, and I said, babe, I said, I need you to get this paint back to that house. This was the last day of the mission. And I said, and I need you to head up the crew to get that house painted. She had that crew paint that house in one day. Now, you notice the eaves and all were the same color, but that's the way she wanted it. But, but just another way that God works. Um, but it's been fun. And, and, and again, I'm going to tell you, you will be blessed if you go on mission, and, and there may be a time where we can set up a mission right here in this community to help this community out and do the same thing, same type of things. Um, I'm open to whatever God has for us. So, you know, and, and I'm excited about it. Um, so you know where we're at. You know what we've done. Now, let me tell you a little bit from God's word why we do what we do. Now, remember I told you I started out in Haiti exclusively, and now God's got us in five different countries, actually, doing things. And, but when I started out in Haiti, people would ask me, Roland, why Haiti? Why Haiti? And my answer to them at that time was, well, that's where God has for me and my family to be doing ministry at this time. Well, after a week or so in Haiti, uh, I stayed there for about three months at one, in the beginning, and after about a week or so, I had a week where there wasn't really much going on, so I'd be at the house a lot. And so I got in my room, and I got on my knees, and I said, God, I said, you've heard people ask me why Haiti, and you've heard my explanation to them. Now I'm going to ask you, God, why Haiti? And at that time is when he put me on a study on those that are less fortunate. Now, Granted, I had been, I, I grew up in church. I was in church from, you know, a wee little kid, younger than some of these, probably like that little girl on your lap right back there. From that time on, I grew up in church. I'd heard sermon after sermon, Sunday school lesson after Sunday school lesson. I went to Bible college. I went to seminary. Got a master of divinity from seminary. And I'd always heard it only kind of like a back burner that we should be helping those that are poor. Now you think about all the sermons you've heard, all the lessons you've heard, 
And, it, and, and to me, anyway, my experience was it was always like on the back burner. Well, you know, we're, we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be all this. You heard that out front. But we're supposed to be helping the poor. It was, you know, kind of like on the back burner. So God sent me on a, on a study throughout his word. And you know what I found out? Throughout God's word, it states that we, his people, should be helping the poor. Remember the first five books of the, of, of the Bible that we call them the book, the book, the laws, the book of laws. And that's where God was setting up his nation and giving them all these laws for his nation. And if you study those laws close enough, you know what they all point to? Helping the poor. All of them are really, I say all of them, but the majority of them were set up so that the poor can be helped. Remember where he told the farmers to leave some of their field? So what? So the poor could come and glean from it. Now, this looks like a farming community here to me, but just imagine if some farmer left some stuff in his field and some poor person, they call it some poor person, running through grabbing it just to survive. I hope that farmer would be compassionate enough. But, you know, I don't know the people here, but I know the people in the U.S. and pretty much some of them would get shot at. You agree? I'm not saying in this community, but that's the way we've turned. We're no longer helping those in need uh, like God set it up to, for us to do. Um, we're supposed to help the poor so much that listen to what God declared in Deuteronomy 15.4. Deuteronomy 15.4, God told them there should be no poor among you. That's how much all these laws were set up to, to take care of the poor. He said there should be no poor among you. And if we fast forward to the New Testament, remember when what they would do? Remember where the people would go sell what they had? Come back in the Bible says and bring the money and lay it at the disciples' feet so that they could then distribute it to those in need. Remember, it's this serious, folks. One poor couple lied about it in the Bible. Remember that? And what happened to them? They died immediately, the Bible says. Folks, it's amazing when you look through and you start putting all these scriptures together and you look at what God has given us to do as his people. He says we're supposed to help those that are in need. Um, Isaiah 58. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me. I know it's starting to get late, but we'll get it all out. Isaiah 58, 1 through 10. I'm going to give you one more minute. Isaiah 58, 1 through 10. Isaiah says, and, and you can catch up with me if you're not there yet. He says, shout it out loud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sin. Then listen, to the, he says something curious. He says, for day after day, they seek me out. This is God speaking. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of God. They ask me for just decisions and they seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Folks, that sounds to me like the church today. We seem to be the people that are, are crying out to God. We want just decisions. We want him to, to, do things, to, to help us and to guide us. We want all that. But then listen to what he says. He, he tells them, he says, they, they say in verse 3, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, God said. You do, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting, and, your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Folks, he's saying something's got to be different. Something's got to be different. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? 
Is it only for bowing one head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable for the Lord? Now listen to what he says. Is not this the kind of fasting, fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Listen to this. Verse 7. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderers with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? He says, if you will do these things, then your light will break forth like dawn and your healing will come will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your regard. Then you will call and the Lord will, I, the, the Lord will answer you will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do what? If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of fingers of malicious talk, and if you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in darkness and your night will come like midday. Now, folks, I could stop right there and we should be convicted, shouldn't we? I could stop right there and we should be convicted. But that's not the only scriptures. It's throughout God's word. I promise you, I could stand here for hours giving you scripture after scripture after scripture where God is saying throughout his word that this is how I want my people. I want my people to be helping those that are in need. Jeremiah, he told them. Fast forward to again to the New Testament, James. James one twenty seven. James says, pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father in heaven is this. Now, if you didn't know that scripture, and some of you may not, or the rest of that scripture, what would you say pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father in heaven is? Let me, let me share with you how I think a lot of us would answer it. If I go to church every Sunday, if I read my Bible, if I pray, if I do these things, and, and do, you're not hearing me say these things are wrong. It takes these things. But listen to what James said. James says, pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father in heaven is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. To look after the orphans and widows in their distress. That's what pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father in heaven is, according to James. That's according to the Bible, ain't it? To look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep yourself unstained from the rest of the world. Remember when I said I heard sermon after sermon after sermon how we're supposed to be unstained from the rest of the world. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be. But he says, look after the orphans and widows in their stress, distress and keep yourself. That's on the same level. James is saying these are on the same level. Why have we missed it most of our church life? That's what convicted me. Why have I missed this? 1 John three sixteen through 18. John says, this is how we know what love is. Some of you can almost quote this with me right now. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But listen to this. And, and usually we stop right there. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. Folks, again, I could go on and on throughout God's word with scripture that says we're supposed to be helping those that are in need. But I'm going to close out with a powerful one. Matthew 25. And when I start reading this, most of you are going to know it. But let's put this in context with what, I've, what we've heard here tonight. That we're supposed to be helping those that are in need. That's how God set up his nation. That's how he set up his church. That's what we're supposed to be doing today. 
Listen to Jesus' own words in Matthew 25. Now, many people say will say that he's teaching a parable here. But he's not teaching a parable. He's being prophetic here. Jesus is saying, this is what's going to happen on the day I return. Because he starts out with that. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Here he goes. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. But then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you in or naked and clothed you? And when, when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him, truly, I say to you, As you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. But then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me in. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord... When do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and you did not minister to me? Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal fire, but the righteousness into eternal life. Folks, this is Jesus saying, now, now let, let me clarify one thing. Some people will speak this scripture and say, see, you've got to work your way into heaven. It's all about works. That's not what Jesus is saying at all here. You know what he's saying? When you take it in context with the rest of God's word, what we've heard, just some of the scriptures, he's saying, this is how I'm going to recognize those that are mine. By those who did what I've asked them to do throughout scripture. And these are those that that, that I'm going to recognize are not mine. Those that did not do what I've asked them to do throughout Scripture. Pastor. Thank you, Brother Roland. I'm going to step up here to the microphone because I want to share something with you that Brother Roland left out. It's hard to believe you left anything out, is it? Sacrifice. I mean, there is sacrifice involved in missions, going on mission trip, uh, being in a mission field. I just want to clarify, that seven-bedroom house didn't have air conditioning. It barely had fans in it. It had no electricity. It only, the only a generator run the fans at night. It was only at night, and it was hot, okay? That's capital H-O-T. And I'm going to tell you how hot it was. We went in July, July the 4th in 2015. We went in 15 and 17. It was so hot. The first night I was standing there with some of the fellows in a pair of shorts with no shirt, no shoes, sweating. And I said, I'm going to die in Haiti. (laughs) It was that hot. And you left all that out when you talked about this luscious seven-bedroom house, three-bath. No hot water, but we didn't need hot water. We needed cold water, okay? The hot water was in a tank on top of the house, and the sun warmed it up during the day. And the ladies used the hot water, but, man, we, we didn't need no hot water. But it was sacrifice, but it was such an, a blessing to be there. Um, we were there in 15, and we were there in 17. That's the two times that we went. And first time I went, it was a shock, but I was ready for the second time, and we were prepared the next time. And we had a blessing. And we, the week that we were there, there was 40 the professions of faith made in the groups that we were with, and we had a blessing. But the, the main thing for me is each day when we finished, those people and those ladies of the church and those people would circle around us 
and they would hold hands and they would pray for us. I mean, basically, they would tell us, I mean, you didn't have to come down here. You didn't have to come out of your comfort zone. You didn't have to come uh, on this mission trip. You didn't have to leave the air condition and come to where we are. And those people would, would pray for us, and that was the humbling part. And then one of the pastors, and I share this, he prayed in Haitian Creole. How many of y'all can understand Haitian Creole? You could tell the power of the Holy Spirit. He was praying, and you could just about know what he was praying because God was moving and, man, it was powerful, and it was just a blessing. So, um, you know, mission opportunities, look to the nations, is evolved from Baptist for Haiti because of, of how difficult it is to get into Haiti right now, maybe be able to get back there soon, but it is very hard to get in there. It's kind of dangerous to actually get in there, but there's other opportunities. So have y'all heard anything about Disciple Maker recently? I mean, have y'all heard any mess, anybody preaching on that or anything? Uh, has that been in any anything that you've heard? You know, because it's so important. It just reinforced it. You know, we got to be on mission. The, the the mission of the church is to be evangelism. Man, we're not just to come in and you know, Bible study is great, but we got to take it outside the walls. We got to be on mission for God. It's His mission. He's recruited us to help Him out. And we got to be on mission locally, right here in Grady County, and then anywhere we can find those opportunities. All right. All right, Brother Roland will be here. If you got a few questions you want to ask him afterward, he'll be here for a little while, and then we're going to take him to get him something to eat, and then uh, he's going to speak at, for the pastors tomorrow at, their, at the luncheon at the Baptist Center. But, you know, the website's available. If you want to contribute uh, individually or if we want to contribute through the church, th- there is ways to do that. So we're going to pray about that, and we certainly want to pray for his missions. We want to lift him up. You know, we, we, we send, we pray. We support, but we also need to go. All right? Any questions? All right. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll close our service. And then, uh, like I said, you can speak with Brother Roland if you have anything specific that you want to talk with him before you leave. So pray with me, please. Father God, I come before you just humbly as I can. Father, just knowing that you are the great provider, and Father, that you are in control of all things. God, we know that this world is full of struggle. We know that there are struggles locally and there are struggles abroad. God, we know that there's places we need to go where people need to hear the gospel. And God, I just pray that there's people who just give up that week or just give up that time. And Father, just say, hey, it's a focus for me to make sure that your word is proclaimed and the gospel is shared to people that need to hear it. God, there's, there's so many things that are important in this world. But God, that is the most important thing. We want people to know Jesus. We want to be able to share your love with them. We want to be able to touch them. And God, we want them to know you and have a relationship with you. And I, God, I pray for Brother Roland, and I pray for Mary's mission field and look to the nations. God, I just pray that you would bless it. I pray because it's such a committed effort that they have, and God, that they are so committed to sharing the gospel and touching people's lives through physical and spiritual. God, I just pray that you would bless their ministry. And God, that every day that they move forward, God, would just be a day closer to you. And God, you, they would feel your presence with every effort they take. And God, I just pray for this church. God, I pray that we would take it seriously. God, that that mission is serious. And God, that we would take it serious and that we would be committed to it. God, that we would get behind it and support it and drive it forward. God, I pray as we we move forward for 2023, God, that we would be mission-minded and we would be on mission for you. Father, we love you and we lift up your name. We praise you and we give you all the glory. It's all due to you. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.